All right. This is the Conversation Cannabis and Christianity podcast. My name is Miguel Torres, and I'm your host. And our special guest is Dr. Michelle Sexton. Dr. Sexton is a naturopathic doctor who furthered her education in the formal study of the endocannabinoid system and its roles in health and illness. Her postdoctoral research was on the topic of cannabinoids and their roles in neuroinflammation and neurodegeneration by investigating cannabis use in patients with multiple sclerosis and impact on inflammatory markers. She has continued research into health effects of cannabis at the University of California, San Diego as assistant adjunct professor in the Department of Anesthesiology. She is currently a medical staff professional with the Center for Integrative Medicine at UCSD at the first cannabis clinic in a major medical center. Dr. Sexton's clinical practice, research, and teaching focus on the endocannabinoid system and roles in integrative medicine to treat a range of conditions across the lifespan. Dr. Sexton has presented her research internationally and published 24 papers in peer-reviewed journals. She started her career in healthcare as an herbalist and midwife. She opened the first cannabis analysis laboratory in Washington State and has served as an editor on the American Herbal Pharmacopoeia and Botanical Monographs. She is a member of the International Cannabinoid Research Society, the International Association of Cannabinoid Medicine, the California Naturopathic Doctors Association, and the American Association of Naturopathic Doctors. She maintains a private medical practice in San Diego, California. When not caring for patients or pursuing research activities, you can find her in the, in the garden, playing music, playing with her grandchildren, swimming, or riding her bike to the beach for a surf, a surf session. She is also going to be publishing a book in October of 2023 titled Eat, Sleep, Relax, and Forget. It's a guide on endocannabinoid, it's a guide, excuse me, an endocannabinoid guide to systems for wholeness with women. So from San Diego, California, Dr. Sexton, how you doing? Hi, Miguel, I'm doing well. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, absolutely. Natural. So uh, I've had one other naturopathic doctor on on the podcast, and it was Dr. Jake Felice. And, and before we started recording, you said you knew him, and and uh, that was very cool. I had uh, I had my wife and I had worked with a naturopathic doctor, and when we were living in Virginia, and we had really good results. It was it was quite amazing, actually. And so I've always been fascinated with naturopathic <laughs> medicine. And when I found you, I was like, hmm. Let's uh, let's see if she'd be uh, interested in being a guest on the podcast. Yeah, I, I find that um, the philosophy of naturopathic medicine has a nice fit with uh, the endocannabinoid system because of it uh, being a system that's in every tissue in our body and naturopathic medicine being a, um, a medical system based on treating the whole person. And so you know, bringing the two together, using the endocannabinoid system as a guide to assess the patient has uh, been really interesting and uh, sort of a new way of approaching how to use cannabis medically. Right on, right on. So medicine, that's complex, you know, everything. And that's what I've, that's what what I find fascinating, another thing I find fascinating about naturopathic medicine is that it does take a more comprehensive approach when assessing the patient, I think, in my experience of it. They, uh, the doctor that we saw, 
I just uh, I don't know if you'd call it more personal, but it was it was a bit more it, it was I'd say it was a bit more personal care. I mean, I could say it was a bit more personal care. And um, for somebody to go into that field, what did you recognize about yourself when you chose to study medicine and naturopathic medicine at that? Well, my choice to go into naturopathic medicine really was an extension of being a midwife. So I knew when I was very young at age 17, I purchased a book uh, about herbs and this concept of medicine that was natural and not synthetic was very interesting to me. I was, I was really curious about what makes a plant a medicine? Because I, I didn't know anything about chemistry. Um, and so I set out to study herbs. Uh, this old book by Jethro Kloss was sort of my companion guide to herbs. And then I also had this awareness, I think I was probably about 18, that I wanted to, in my life, give service to women. And and then midwifery became a piece of that. <clears throat> and so midwifery and herbalism fit really well together because I was giving midwifery care, you know, outside of the conventional medical setting. These were all um, home births. Yeah. So I was trained as a certified professional midwife. I got, uh, I studied herbs with Rosemary Gladstar and got a, an herbal certification. And in that process of serving women in my own community, they were looking for these kinds of natural approaches to their family's entire health, not just childbirth. And where I lived in Lubbock, Texas, we didn't have any access to practitioners, healthcare practitioners that were outside the conventional box. And so it would end up that these families and you know, women that I had attended in childbirth would come back to me <clears throat> with their health problems, with their children's health problems, you know, asking what herbs or other things can I use, you know, other than going to get antibiotics for my child, et cetera. And so I, I became aware that I really needed to expand my knowledge, <laughs> you know, to be able to, to serve people across their health and across the lifespan rather than just the childbearing years. And I think soon after the World Wide Web <laughs> became a thing, <laughs> I found um, Bastyr University um, and started thinking, I, you know, that, that seems like the education that I should get. So you, you were interested in, you, you 17, that, that's pretty young to, that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah my granddad was a, a doctor. He was a, okay. a general practitioner and he had gone back and gotten training as a surgeon so that he could provide more care to his patient population. He and his partners had one of the longest standing partnerships in the state of Texas. And it was, a, you know, sort of a small community and everybody knew him. Um, and so I grew up, he, he was also a Quaker. He was, he was raised as a Quaker, uh, came from a long line of educators. Okay. Um, so, you know, he was very much an educator. So I grew up just hearing big medical terms, explanations of things, <laughs> you know, being attended to by him anytime we were sick. Um, so, you know, it was kind of infused into me, I think, from an early age.
Right on. So the marijuana part of your practice, when did you, when did you uh, bring that into your practice? Well, officially, it didn't enter into my medical practice until 2010. So I, I graduated from Bastyr University in 2008. And in the state of Washington at that time, naturopathic doctors were not included as providers who could authorize medical cannabis. Um, but in 2010, that changed and naturopathic doctors were added in. But prior to that, just go back a little bit. I got my undergraduate degree in at Texas Tech in Lubbock, Texas, and it was a horticulture degree. But I, what I was really interested in and what I focused on in that degree was phytochemicals. So I, I had to, I had to take a lot of chemistry, and uh, my mentor there, Dr. Ellen Peffley, was studying onions and this compound in onions called quercetin, which is an an antioxidant compound, a very interesting compound. And so she invited me as an undergraduate to take her phytochemical course that she taught at the graduate level. And that's where it all clicked for me of how plants were medicine, that they had this, all of these compounds, you know, that were not intended for nutrition, but that have biologic activity. And I had a, a fellow student who said, how, how after I finished this degree, could I go study cannabis? And I said, Oh, I have no idea. You know, I guess, you know, you just would have to look for somebody doing that at a university level and apply there. You know, I was like, I don't know. So when I got to Washington State, um, I, I was still interested in doing research, which I, which I had been doing some research at the undergraduate level. And so one day I Googled microglia. So microglia are cells in the brain that are immune cells that are resident to the brain. And I was interested in, in addressing brain inflammation. Uh, so the first hit on my Google search was Dr. Nephi Stella at the University of Washington. And it turns out he was studying the endocannabinoid system. And so that was really the first time where I connected anything cannabis to anything that I, I might do. And I emailed him and said, hey, I need to learn how to grow microglia cells and culture. And he said, oh, come on over to the lab, we'll teach you how to do that. And then that turned into uh, me working in his lab as a pre-doctoral fellow. And then I applied for a postdoctoral fellowship to study the effects of cannabis in patients with multiple sclerosis. And so it really just organically grew out of all of that. And when naturopathic doctors were added in Washington state, I kind of got tapped to provide education uh, because, I mean, I was doing studying the pharmacology, doing the research. So I, I think I probably developed some of the first medical education for healthcare practitioners, uh, maybe in the United States on the topic of cannabis. Um, and then, you know, I became sort of like the go-to person that MDs would send people to, because even the MDs, they, even though they could do it, they didn't really want to um, authorized patients to use cannabis. So I started getting referrals from MDs. And um, so the practice sort of grew organically that way. Right on. <clears throat> That's very cool. How did, uh, how did, how did your family, 
your parents and the family tree, the Quakers, <laughs> the Quake, the long line <laughs> of Quakers. Well, yeah, well, how did, nobody how did that was go? really nobody, nobody was really Quaker anymore. Um, my granddad had passed away before I, I went back to college. Um, but I mean, my mother, she's she's very conservative. Um, but you know, I've I've just always been honest and straightforward. They've always known that I've been somewhat deviant, you know, from <laughs> cultural norms and and so I really just always sort of addressed it through the research lens, you know, like this is what I'm doing, this is where I work, this is what I'm studying. Um, and I think because of that lens of the science and the potential medicinal benefit, you know, it really, um, it helped to open their mind to it. And, you know, it wasn't long before they were very proud of me. They would uh, say, hey, can you talk to our... Um, our landscape architect, he's got this horrible pain and do you think cannabis could help him? You know, so they were actually, um, you know, advocating after a time. So that's, that's good to know. That's good to know. That's good. It's a good to hear. It's good to hear. <laughs> that's cool. Because so, you know, when you said that, I was like, Oh, I wonder how, uh, I wonder how they responded or reacted. <laughs> when yeah, my, granddad, my granddad was raised Quaker, but then when he married his, my grandmother didn't want to be Quaker. I think she had come from the Church of Christ, so they uh, settled on the first Christian church, which I guess was sort of an intermediate <laughs> belief system in between the two somewhere. I hear you. I I I, uh, I don't keep track of all the denominations. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's like a lot. There are. There are. Okay, so it really wasn't uh, it wasn't because you had a disease or you you had a, a a health crisis that you sought it out you really sought it out as a the next step in in what you were going to research and that's pretty yeah, I didn't I didn't have any health issues um that I was addressing with cannabis no it was more that um you know I was learning I was studying the pharmacology of the endocannabinoid system and, you know, that's what we studied in the lab. He, at that time, he had funding for uh, studying of brain tumors, glioblastomas, um, some epilepsy work. And a lot, of his, a lot of his work had been in multiple sclerosis. And that was one reason, you know, that I did the clinical study uh, of multiple sclerosis. And so everything we did was, you know, cannabinoid related. I mean, we used synthetic compounds that were used for research, but we also had the DEA scheduled materials, you know, and we would use TH, I think all we could get at that time was THC, CBD, and CBN. But those were typically included in any kind of cannabinoid screening that we did. Hmm. So, you know, uh, we had a, a bi-weekly cannabinoid journal club. Uh, we had a researcher in the the floor above us that was an anesthesiologist that was studying CB1, uh, you know, in pain, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, there was a lot of collaborative work going on. And so my life just became infused with cannabinoid and ph pharmacology. And so when you see the science of it, and then, you know, I'm seeing patients and they, they get benefit, there needed to be a way to put these two things together. Um, like, Here's the pharmacology. Here's cannabis. All right, where do we go now? How do we know what doses to give people? We need to know the potency of what they're accessing. 
Um, and then that's what led me to open up the first cannabis analytical facility in the state of Washington was really out, you know, to try to understand this relationship between plant and people. That's cool. That's cool. I found that fascinating that it wasn't this, that wasn't a, a personal crisis or a family crisis that that brought you to studying it and finding the value in it. Cause sometimes that's what it is. That's, you know, there's, there's a stigma there and somebody goes, yeah, I didn't, I didn't, I was no way I would ever thought of that until I had something major happen to me and nothing else was working. And then that's what I tried as a last resort or almost a last resort to something, you know, some to that extent. And then they go, yeah, now I'm a believer and now I'm a believer in it. And that's, what's interesting about yours is that you were just walking out, you're walking out your research and you saw the value in it and you had, you had uh, institutions to go to where they were, where you had access, access to options. That's cool. That's, that's, that's cool. I like it. I dig it, Dr. <clears throat> Sexton. All right. <clears throat> so, all right. So we're going through these questions kind of fast. My goodness. <laughs> <laughs> so let's see. Let me ask you this. Regulation of marijuana. What are your thoughts on how it should be regulated? Oh, geez, such a big topic. Um, know. You know, it's it's so controversial because, you know, botanical medicines in general are not regulated in the United States. Yeah. <clears throat> um, they have been regulated in Europe for some time. I mean, there are many herbal medicines are only available, you know, through a pharmacy in in Europe and they have to be labeled for the active mm -hmm. ingredient. And so, you know, it's interesting in the United States, we don't really have anything like that until cannabis, <laughs> you know, so cannabis has sort of been, um, you know, we'll, we'll see where it goes with the FDA, but it's just interesting to me that it is being scrutinized like that while, while no other botanical medicines are. And the reason for this is, is because cannabis is often referred to as a drug slash herb, you know, because of THC and it being such a potent and psychoactive molecule. And, you know, there's, there are other plants, you know, that have psychoactive potential or psychedelic potential, almost all of which are on schedule one. Yeah. And maybe, you know, others of them becoming accessed more and more as we speak. Um, but I do believe that, you know, outside of toxicity of plants, you know, there probably is medicinal benefit of, of all plants on the planet. You know, it's not by accident that plants have compounds that interact with our biology. Uh, they, they are, I mean, we used to have nothing but plants to live off of, right? Food, shelter, clothing, medicine, that, that's all there was. And so we co-evolved and these, these uh, biomolecules and bioactive molecules uh, are meant for us. And so in that sense, I, I don't think any plant should be off the table, you know, for human use. But I think there are some plants that, that need to be, uh, yeah, I struggle with the, with the regulatory aspect um, because it gets so confusing about, well, how much is too much? And, you know, where do we set the limit? And, 
should we set limits? You know, should people be able to do to their bodies or with their bodies exactly what they want to do? But I think the positive thing that has come out of the regulation is the labeling. And so that people are informed. I think we need to be able to make informed choices about what we're using. And so to be able to look at a label and say, oh, this potency is way too high for what I know I like or need is really valuable. Because like right now, if you walk into any grocery store, herb store, pharmacy and pull any kind of herbal product off the shelf, you can't even be guaranteed that, that that's what's in the bottle, much less does it have any active ingredient to it. I understand what you're saying. And and <clears throat> this is something when I think about it and and I, I don't have the insight that you do because you do what you do and, and I don't. <laughs> but when I think about the system that you said is in England and and that that doesn't sound appealing to me at all. That sounds that sounds like way too control. That what's that's too much government control over plants that grow naturally. And uh, <clears throat> at the same time, I understand, I understand that when there's not regulation, people can put all kinds of crazy stuff in a capsule and sell it. And, uh, you know, I was, I, I've been athletic my whole life. And so the sports industry was definitely one of those where in all other was, but the sports industry, you know, they just pump a bunch of stuff into a product, put a package on it. And that's, the, that's the unfortunate part of it is that the abuses, people that want to take advantage of these things. And that that's what that's what I find really unfortunate is because it, it I understand when you're saying it's really funky. How do you how do you want to regulate that thing? And and when you said all the way up until cannabis, and now now cannabis is cannabis is here, and we finally have this plant that is now at the surface being divided and and separated into these different parts and uh yeah i you know i'm not saying i have an answer either it, it, it was it's it's a fascinating way to think about it and there's a lot of there's a lot of different ways to look at it too and uh well i think you know consumer protection is an important thing absolutely um, the i remember the event that made me really think about this when i was trying to decide you know what i was going to do after my undergraduate education I was looking at, you know, would I go to some sort of herbal, formal, more formal herbal school, you know, study pharmacognosy, what was I going to do? And I read this article where this ethnobotanist said, there is not enough ginkgo, so ginkgo biloba, which is a, a plant with medicinal benefit, there's not enough ginkgo being harvested on the planet to fill all the capsules that are on shelves around the world. <laughs> and I, I remember that being like such an eye opener of like, oh my gosh, there's a lot of scammers out there, you yeah. know? <laughs> and so, you know, patient advocacy is something that has been a big thing for me. I started my midwifery career actually as a childbirth educator and a patient advocate in a labor and delivery ward. And so just being a patient advocate for women who had no social support, women of color, uh, women of, you know, no economic means, et cetera, et cetera, that didn't get the same sort of treatment or opportunities as other uh, women with money or women who were white. Um, and so that patient advocacy thing sort of comes out in me, especially now as a doctor, 
and seeing all of the marketing claims around different cannabinoids, CBD, you know, being prime, where we don't really have science to back it up. Um, and even for hemp products and CBD, it doesn't even have the same level of quality control scrutiny that cannabis does. And so I'm always thinking about the consumer and, you know, people who are desperate. We talked offline about, you know, desperate people. Uh, and, and those are often who come to naturopathic doctors because they can't get help in the conventional realm. Um, you know, we can think about these families who, with all the children with intractable uh, childhood epilepsies, which kind of started the whole CBD craze, thanks to Sanjay Gupta. Um, and so just another brief story about that, yeah. and I'll get back to my yeah, point. Absolutely. Uh, one, of the, one of the first families who came to me had a, a child with Dravet syndrome, which is one of the intractable childhood epilepsies. And so they had gotten wind of a, uh, a parent down in San Francisco who had gotten a CBD tincture from his dispensary in San Francisco. His son had intractable epilepsy. He gave his son the CBD and it really helped alleviate his seizure. So they came to me for an appointment for their daughter to use medical cannabis because she had very severe intractable epilepsy, hundreds of seizures per day across the night. And so they said, oh, we went to this uh, cannabis um, farmer's market and this guy sold us this tub of butter and he said it's CBD and we gave her a teaspoon of it last night and she slept through the night. We've, we've never had that happen. Uh, so I, I took a sample of it to the lab. There was no CBD in that butter at all. <laughs> and I was just, I was so outraged. Not, not, you know, the child wasn't harmed. THC also can alleviate seizure. So it was it, THC, THC? It was just was THC. It? She probably, you know, based on calculations, probably got about 10 milligrams, which is a lot for a child. But, you know, it, it's not any kind of permanent damage. Yeah, I understand. Um, I understand. Yeah, so I was just outraged, though, that somebody would tell this suffering family who's desperate that yeah. a product is something that it's not, you know, so I actually got the phone number of the person and called him and said, you know, I chewed him out. I said, why on earth would you misrepresent your product? That is unethical. You're taking advantage of someone. And his explanation was, oh, well, I guess I boiled off all the CBD. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, okay. <laughs> I've had a lot of chemistry training and that's just not possible, you know? So, you know, to see that the quality control stuff come into play was, was important for me for consumer protection. And that's, that's what we don't see across the botanical world um, in the United States, you know, is that level of quality control for all botanical products. It, it's, it's coming, it's up and coming, but cannabis has definitely led the charge for that. So what do you, when you say it's up and coming, what do you, what are you thinking of, or what are your observations or what do you see like the, the things? Well, that... I think that there's going to be increased consumer demand, you know, because now people understand, oh, there are these active ingredients, you know, botanicals are, are uh, combinations of hundreds of molecules. You know, how can you say which one or the other is having the effect? But we do know that there are primary active ingredients that do certain things. 
And so to have products standardized at doses that we know could actually be effectual, you know, could bring more effectual medicine to people. And so I think cannabis has sort of highlighted that for people. Oh, well, yeah, I want to know my THC content or I want to know how much CBD is in there. I need to know how much I'm taking. Well, now are they going to do that with their echinacea? You know, like, well, yeah. is this echinacea formulation <laughs> going to do what I want it to do? Oh, does it have the active ingredient? You know, how much of the active ingredient? And so I think consumer demand will drive it, but also just the industry itself. Um, you know, there are labs now that are really... Uh, like, for instance, Alchemist Lab has a certification where now supplement companies, if they are testing through Alchemist Lab, they can get like a, a certification or a seal on their product to show consumers, hey, we did the quality control testing. Hey, this one over here has none. We don't know if there are contaminants in there. We don't know if it's really what they say it is. So I think it'll be, uh, you know, the consumers becoming very savvy about what they're using. Right on. I, I agree too. I think I think that there's, there's a lot of I agree. There's a lot of hurdles to overcome. The stigma has brought on a lot of hurdles, but uh, yeah, I think people are starting to peel those stigmas apart. All yeah, right. So I think in, in terms of regulation, I think uh, you know there's value, and there could be also potential harm in how because it's being regulated. Cannabis is being regulated so differently across every state you know um and it, i think it causes confusion for people but obviously you know the united states is uh largely the states largely are are turning away from the the schedule one designation yeah to make it available for people so i i think that's a good thing and you know regulatory framework to do that uh, is a piece of that it is going to be interesting to see how it happens. It is going to be really interesting to see how it happens. <clears throat> okay, now your yeah. book. Your book, Eat, Sleep, Relax, Forget, an endocannabinoid hey, you guide. Just, you left one thing out. Oh. It's So eat. it's Eat, Sleep, Relax, Protect. Oh, I forgot forget. that. I'm sorry. Yeah, so I apologize. five pieces to that. Eat, Sleep, Relax, Protect, Forget, an endocannabinoid guide to systems wholeness for women. Correct. So uh, you want to tell us a little bit more about that? What can, what yeah, can... so the title itself, Eat, Sleep, Relax, Protect, Forget, that is derived from uh, an article written by a researcher named Vincenzo de Marzo, where he described the endocannabinoid system as one to, to do, help us do those things. And so I have always just loved that um, sort of explanation of the endocannabinoid system. You know, maybe it's reductionistic in some ways, but it actually covers a lot and so I have one section of the book um, dedicated to each of those topics. And so then I go into in each section, like how is the endocannabinoid system involved in eat, for instance, you know, so there's a lot that can be covered under that heading, such as appetites, stimulation of appetite, metabolism, how fast or slow we metabolize things, metabolic disorders, gastrointestinal disorders, and then specific to women, because women in general have a lot more of these disorders than men do typically. So that can include gastrointestinal disorders, autoimmune disease, which is covered in the section on protect, which right is on. about our immune system. Um, so then I kind of go into different, um, you know, areas of the of health under each heading. 
And then I expand on that to include other integrative means of bringing wholeness um, and how all of these fit together in a, in a way of what we call systems biology that, you know, this reductionistic approach we have to health these days of there's a specialist for this and a specialist for that. And you get sent to this specialist and that specialist and your general practitioner or your primary care provider is sort of overseeing it all. But there's not really anyone who's pulling all of these systems together to think about the interconnectedness of the functioning. And the endocannabinoid system is that piece that ties them all together. So um, yeah, it's specifically for women's health. So I go into you know, a little bit about dosing of cannabis and use of cannabis, but it's really more about um, our ability to not only survive, but how do we actually thrive in life and how our past experiences of childhood traumas or other adversities affect not only our mental health, but our physical health in a big way. So recovering stress resilience, and you know, being able to build health based on this concept of systems biology, and that's what the book's about. Very cool, Dr. Sexton. That's cool. That is very cool. And October 2023 is when you'll be releasing it. Yes. Yes. All right. Hopefully, hopefully October 1st. Um, so I, I have a web a web page. It's uh, ecsdoctor.com. So ECS for endocannabinoid system. So endocannabinoid system doctor.com. And if anybody wants to sign up for updates and, you know, know when the book's released, they can go to that site and sign up for an email list. Right on. Check it out. ECSDR.com. ECSDOCTOR. Oh, doctor. Spelled out. ECSDOCTOR.com. Right on. Very cool. Is there anything else you want to share with listeners about what you got going on for the rest of 2023 or the near future? Well, let's see, what do I have going on? I'm just going to be doing a little bit uh, of book touring, you know, doing some events, book signings, you know, education around this, these concepts and, um, you know, really just trying to target people who don't already know everything about cannabis or the endocannabinoid system. And, um, you know, specifically for, for women's health, that they know that there are alternatives and integrated means of addressing their health other than pharmaceutical drugs uh, and, and how to do that wisely and safely using integrated medicine, including cannabis. So that's, that's pretty much the rest of the year for me. Right on. Right on. Well, we kind of got, you kind of gave a a little bit of an idea about how you might have been raised with or without a belief system or religion, but uh, let's get a clearer picture of that. Were you related, were you you raised with a, with a belief system or a, a philosophy, a worldview or the absence of a religious faith? Um, oh, that's such a good question and difficult to answer. I have to answer by saying I was raised going to church. Okay. All right. I understand that. I understand Um, that too. I I was a very shy child and did not want to be separated from my mother. And so until the time I was up until like fourth grade, I refused to go to Sunday school class. Uh, But I would go to my mother's first grade Sunday school class. So, you know, I knew all the Bible stories. And then at some point they said, well, you have to go be with your age group. Um, that was very intimidating to me. 
And then, you know, then we would leave Sunday school and go to church. And my dad would uh, come to the first part of the church service because he was an usher. And then at, at the midpoint, you know, halftime where they did the doxology, my dad would leave <laughs> and go to uh, the drugstore. And I could never understand why he got to leave. And I had to stay and, and sit through this very boring service where I questioned everything that was said. Like, I did not believe literally all of these things that were talked about in the Bible. I, I could not understand how a smart person could believe that a human being named Jesus was going to come down in the clouds. You know, I had been on an airplane. I knew you couldn't stand on a cloud. So, like, I was very analytical even when I was young and thought, these things are just not believable to me. And then I saw these discrepancies between what I might hear at church and what I experienced at home, for instance. So it always really made me question um, that religious experience. And then my grandparents, they had this great book that was, I think it was called Religions of the World. And I was, I was very intrigued by that book. And I would just go, like there was a beautiful picture and on the other side of the page, a description of the religion. And I would read those. And so this concept of, you know, unifying themes across religions was always more interesting to me than uh, sort of a boxed in version, you know, that I was being provided with Christianity. So, you know, I guess I could, you could say I was sort of raised with religion. I, I don't know that I ever had a strong faith, except there was a period of time in my life where I deviated into that. Um, and then once again, got to the point where I said, this is just foolishness and, um, yeah, it's not for me. <laughs> okay. Okay. So wait, so the deviated into, I, I, I lost, I deviated into what back, yeah, back, so, in, back, so back into age, religion. You yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So at age, I guess I was around 17. I think I was a senior in high school, you know, and I'd been partying, you know, we, there was a lot of heavy alcohol use in West Texas. We had access to cannabis, um, you know, I was using that. And I got to this point where I just, it, it wasn't enjoyable to me anymore. Like I wasn't getting anything out of it. Uh, I remember one night staying up until four in the morning with some friends smoking pot and I, I wasn't even getting high anymore. And I thought, why even do this anymore, you know? So uh, I was working at a shop where I met a young man who, who had gotten into Christianity and he invited me out on a date. And, uh, well, then a few weeks later, he got killed in a car accident. Oh my. And in fact, he and his friend had gone out to buy alcohol. And I think that they were, one of them was driving under the influence and, uh, one of them died and the other one was severely injured. So the, the one I had gone on a date with was, was now no longer living. And that, that was a very much of a crisis for me because um, I was kind of just starting to think about Christianity again. And he had kind of represented, you know, that, but then he had, he was drinking and he killed himself. And I was so confused. And I was like, is he in, is he in hell now? He's such a good right. person. He couldn't really be in hell. That's just not possible, you know? So um, yeah. that kind of, sent me down the path, but I was just in this path of questioning and, you know, this uh, co coincidence, we'll call it a coincidence, 
I was riding my bike down the street one day and at a stop sign, these two guys pulled up to me and the guy leaned out the window and said, hey, would you like to study the Bible? And, you know, I, I said, why not? You know, well, it, it turns out he was a Church of Christ missionary student. So he took me into his home and, you know, they had this little step-by-step -step guide where they took you through all everything, you know, and at the end, he's like, well, do you want to be baptized? I'm like, well, okay. So they, they take me down to this lake. They baptize me. I go home and my mom says, why are you wet? And I said, oh, I got baptized. And she like starts crying. And I'm like, you know, it, it's no big deal, mom. You know, I was like, whatever. Um, and I started going to this Church of Christ church. And I loved the singing, you know, the sense of community. There were things that were very appealing about it. But I remember my question at that time was, I wonder if this means I have to quit smoking pot. Because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I hadn't said anything about it. And these were Church of Christ people that were teetotalers, you know, in every sense of the word. Um, and then I fell in with a group of, of older people that were doing a Bible study and they were very cool. They were musicians. Anyway, it, it kind of spiraled into, you know, getting into a very... Uh, narrow, uh, evangelical kind of church that was kind of built on the, uh, I don't even know what to call it. It was like the faith movement at that time. This was like the early 1980s and all the big mega churches, you okay. know, and all these pastors that were making a ton of money. And so it ended up that church looking very much the same that, you know, it was just all about money. And so once again, I just got very turned off to it. And eventually my ex-husband and I parted ways because he wanted to adhere to that belief system. And I had really outgrown it for a second time. <laughs> oh, wow. So, wow, that's that's pretty, that's significant. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, huh? it, was a, it was all a part of me uh, stepping outside of, of a, of a larger cultural context into which I was born. So, and, and Christianity being a part of that cultural context. Um, and it was, and then not long after that, I moved to Seattle and, you know, that was kind of my clean break from my entire cultural history and starting a new life. Right on. Cause that's the next question. How, how have you, how has the way you view the world changed? We'll, we'll take it from right there. Since you started in Seattle, since you moved to Seattle, like how? Oh, yeah. And I know you're um, in San Diego now, but that, that stop in Seattle. Yeah, yeah. You, yeah. Well, I would say just, uh, you know, a much more inclusive worldview. Um, I, I would say I was probably raised in a very racist culture. Um, I, I was raised in a very privileged lifestyle. Um, you know, my granddad was a doctor. Um, so, I, you know, I was raised with, with a lot of privilege, you know, I realized even medical privilege, I had a doctor on call anytime I wanted or needed a doctor, you know. So, um, and then I got to Seattle. And, you know, one of the first things I went to was the pride parade in Seattle. And that was the first time I'd ever been exposed to anything like that. And I, my thought was, this is, this is absolutely wonderful. Why should we judge anybody for anything, you know, so it really, um, yeah, it was it was just the start of a new a new path and the the way I viewed the world of as uh yeah, we're all created equal as human beings. We have no right to judge anybody for what they do. We don't know why they're doing what they're doing. 
and kind of fitting with naturopathic philosophy, what's behind people making bad choices? We need to go and find out why they're doing that, not just throw them in jail for doing it or, you know, um, any other kind of penalties, I guess. So yeah, the, the, the entire concept of a, of a patriarchal, you know, ruling man who was standing watch over me, ready to uh, issue out um, reward or not, or the opposite, you know. Um, I would say it was kind of a slow process of, you know, having to uh, reconceptualize things, but um, yeah, my entire worldview is is very different from what it was. You know, as you as you were talking about, it sounded like Santa Claus. It sounded not like Santa Claus because <laughs> that's that's if you're naughty or nice, right? That that's that's the way. I, <laughs> that's the way. You know, it boils down to. I think that's the way a lot of people are, are taught about mm -hmm. about God and Jesus and Christianity. It's like if you're good, you'll get what you want. If you're not, if you're not, well, then nothing. Punishment. Yeah, and and that's that's a you know that that's a hard one because I can relate to what you're talking about when when you get to an age who's kind of like okay you know what no more please thank you I don't want any more I don't want any more I mean, I'm I'm done and uh, that that's a yeah I I, I can relate to that. Okay. When I was, I had a lot of other, you know, readings I was doing, you know, other thinkers and, you know, ways of interpreting life events or how to approach the world. And like, just as when I was a child and read that book of the world's religions, I, I was very open to other ways of thinking or looking at things and very much exploring all of that. So psychotherapy and Jungian analysts. Uh, became a big part of that for me because I, I like to make meaning of things, you know, I, I don't think that everything is necessarily random. And, um, you know, Joseph Campbell, I think, sort of invented the word um, synchronicity that, you know, there are these events and you know that there's something magic about them, but you can't say that there's any direct causality. So I, I really like the idea of that there's a mystery that we can't comprehend and I, I don't care to ever know it or know the details. I just want to be open to the mystery. That's cool. Because, <clears throat> um, yeah, synchronicity. I, I haven't, um, yeah, there's another guest. I haven't I haven't published this one yet. But I, by the time I published yours, his love published. And he brought that same concept up. And uh, that is really fascinating because I think that a lot of people, I think, I think a lot of people understand that concept. And I think sometimes people believe about themselves that they're not a part of it, right? Like that they, they, they're not a part of it for whatever reason, you know, it could be something, whatever, whatever that reason, something they, they've done or something that's been done to them, however they sort it out, it is no longer an option to them to participate in that synchronicity. And hmm. that's that's the part that that is, I think, sad. And I think a lot of people are, missing out on that if if uh it's there if you want to participate in it you know what i mean oh yeah yeah I that's agree. pretty cool you can't pretty participate cool. if you don't 
open the door to it, right? <laughs> so speak. So let's 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 open the door on this next question, Doctor Sexton. And this is a good one. It's a good follow-on to that one. Do you believe the uh, universe and all life in it is the result of a series of accidents, or do you think there's an intelligent designer behind it? Um, I, I'd probably have to go with you know the definition of of agnostic on that. That I don't rule anything in or out. Um, I don't know that I believe in accidents. I do believe that there are energetic forces that act upon us um, that we don't know about. You know, this was something that was studied like prayer at a distance, um, where people along, you know, across the other side of the country prayed for people on the other side and the people, they didn't even know each other, received benefit from this, you know, energetic input by a person who didn't even know them. Um, so yeah, again, to me, it's like a part of, of the mystery that, um, I, I don't think there are necessarily accidents, but I don't also believe that there's really anybody back there pulling the strings, you know, <laughs> like, uh, I, I think I probably believe more or would side with, you know, what we call maybe karma of, um, uh, you know, the energetics that we put out into the world are, are going to get returned to us, which is, you know, basically the golden rule from the Bible. Um, you know, that if we go and go out into the world and project goodness and honesty and integrity and love, that, that we will receive those things back in, in some measure and maybe not in the exact same way that we put it out there. So that's what you know, that's kind of the driving force for me around being a good person um, is, yeah, I want it back. You know, that's what I want to experience in the world. So that's what I'm going to put out there. Right on. And like the event finding Dr. Nephi Stella, you know, I consider that a very synchronistic event. I was not looking to study cannabis uh, or the endocannabinoid. I didn't even know about the endocannabinoid system, I don't think. I think there were maybe two sentences about it in our biochemistry textbook. Um, and then, you know, it just happened. And now it's happened that this is where I am today and I've written a book about it. So I just think, well, that's, that's what was meant to be. I set an intention at age 17 that I wanted to impact women. I didn't know exactly how that would happen. It became through midwifery. And, you know, my medical practice and now writing a book about it. That's cool. That's very cool, Dr. Sexton. Very cool. All right. Got one more. You ready? Yeah. Do you believe in a life after this life? And if you do believe in a life after this life, do you believe there's some form of payment that's due upon death? Well, this is a question that I've had to think a lot about lately because I had uh, one of my children diagnosed with stage four cancer two years ago. Um, so that's a very uh, challenging experience as a, a, a parent to think of losing yeah. a child, you know, before you die. And so I've, I've sort of been, you know, engaging in this topic with her because she has no belief system and you know, then suddenly kind of being con confronted with death. Uh, yeah, what what is it? <laughs> you know, what's going to happen? So I do think that there's probably something. But for me, again, I think it's 
it's a part of the mystery. Um, I, I have no fear of death. In fact, I look forward to whatever comes after this. I think that this is a, a trans, very, such a very transient time that we have on the planet. And, um, you know, what, what makes us who we are are literally all of the inputs from our environment. Our, our brain forms based on what we see, hear, learn, are taught, you know, as children. Yeah. And so we're, we're really just constructs of our environment. Um, and so, you know, kind of based on that philosophy, um, you're, you're just a construct. Um, and when the life force leaves, you know, that, that construct is also gone. And um, whether or not there will be any connection to anything that we knew, you know, in, in this life form, I think is a, a big question. Um, but I, I absolutely do not believe that there's any payment due upon death. Right on. Right Either on. reward or punishment. <laughs> so you said something, um, and you were saying, you know, I kind of look forward, not look forward to it, but you're like, yeah, it's, uh, I'm, I'm not afraid of death. And so therefore it's like, but that, that's, that's something that, a lot of people, I don't think, have. I think a lot of people are afraid of death. Oh, and yeah. uh, and that's, when I said I could relate to what you, your experience growing up, not exactly, but I can definitely relate to the, 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 the sternness of a denomination and its effects on the people who go to that, who believe it or drag their kids to it. Because <laughs> I got dragged to it too. And uh <laughs> And, and that, that was for me, it was understanding that all the rules were all old covenant and they were given to show us that we can't keep them. <laughs> There's no, it's impossible, but people will try to fake it. People will try to fake it to say, to, to show that they're holy and someone else isn't. And uh, and Jesus came and and flipped it around and uh, said that all the external stuff that the leadership was doing was like that 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 doesn't count really. Their the rewards are being given right now. It's like they they're earning their rewards right now. It's like what he's saying is like everything that they think they're banking in heaven is actually you know they're doing it here. And um, that was that was kind of like huh you know. When you when you hear about it, but you don't see it, you're like you're in the church. You kind of like you don't see it. It's it can be discouraging, and and I get I certainly understand that. It was. That sounds like you had the same experience that I had, in that. I find the teachings of Jesus to be very solid and very. and shared across religions. But when you take a look at some people who profess Christianity but don't actually think about or follow what jesus actually said that was you know that was another point of contention for me i i agree uh and that that is a that's a that's a tough one so um before we hit record we were talking uh we were just getting to know each other a little bit before we hit record right and i was telling you that that i grew up a denomination oh no i was telling you about i had a a guest a guest uh who was a 30-year career in evangelical and 
we were talking that communion is is wine, right? Communion's wine, yet there are a lot of denominations that you know use water or grape juice or whatever. You know, it's kind of and then you know, a lot of denominations said, you know, you can't drink. No, it's no, you can't drink, you can't smoke, you can't do this, you can't do that. And those were really societal restrictions from the early 20th century. When I when I talked with that one guest, I asked him, I said, why have so many denominations not not said or included wine with communion and uh his answer for him for his experience and his his experience of his, as a 30-year career career evangelical was that not a lot of the denominations didn't turn it off when the federal government ended prohibition of alcohol and uh that was kind of you know because one of the things that i think uh you might agree with but i think a lot of people agree with is that a lot of people view religion as control, and that is that is uh, that certainly looks like that. And I can understand why a lot of people can can see it that way. And then uh, <clears throat> when I think about how the old covenant of you have to perform in order to be accepted, you have to perform in order to be accepted. And if once you're accepted, then there's you know levels of acceptance. Then there's loved and there's levels of holiness and that sounds like a board game to me that 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 sounds like a game and um it, it is completely contrary to what jesus said and the prophecy of jesus and that's the part that that uh that i think a lot of people can get uh can get damaged on because i know it definitely damaged me that's for sure and it takes time you know i don't know I, you know it's, it leaves a bad taste in the mouth you know it leaves a bad taste in the mouth but here's what it was for me for for so i for me it was it was understanding that i can't perform for acceptance it's impossible but that jesus still loves me anyway that was, and I say this because we're talking about societal and cultural norms and barriers. And you you brought the patriarchal, and I understand what you're talking about. And the way I think too many denominations preach from the pulpit is very old covenant. Is very old covenant is okay. You think you can do it on your own? Here's the to do list, and it has to be performed perfectly. And the standard, and this is what I find fascinating about when you said, yeah, you know, I'm a naturopathic doctor. We we look behind things to see what is the cause. We try to get down to some type of root cause. And uh, with the uh, with the commandments, it's like nobody could do it. And, and, and the punishments were clear. If you do this, here's the punishment. This is what you're going to get. And we are, we're fallen human beings and we're going to, you know, we're going to mess things up. You know, I, 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 uh, <clears throat> I just, I published an episode uh, just yesterday and in it, it's talking about um, the scripture I was reading was, was he saying, it's not what you put into the human body that defiles the person. It's what comes out of the human body that defiles them. And I bring, I brought all this up because you say, well, it sounds like you're a lot like me where you like the teachings of Jesus, but you don't necessarily agree with, the organizational presentation of it. And uh, yeah, 
I think it's pretty cool. I think it's pretty cool, Dr. Sexton. All right. Now, I did a lot of talking right there, and this is all about you. But um, what about you? You got, you got want to, you want to, I'm going to give you the, if you want to close this out, you, if there's anything you want to share with everybody, you can give everybody the website again if, if you want or whatever you want to, whatever you want to say to people. Yeah. Um, well, just kind of go back to what you were just saying. You know, I think the, the difference between religion and, and spirituality is, is sort of a distinction that, that you can be a spiritual human being, you know, without being involved in an, an organized religion. Um, and of course, you know, the debate goes on over whether I'm going to go to hell or not, because I'm not part of the organized religion, <laughs> you know. Um, and I, I just think that this piece of spirituality, whether you're part of an organized religion or not, is integral to our health. Because spirituality, I, agree, yeah. I think, is about connection. And it's connection to the physical world, you know, the people we know, the people we love, nature, you know, getting out into nature, plants, air, we have to breathe. I mean, you know, so this boundary between physical and, and spiritual is, is a little blurry. You know, we're very interconnected. Um, and bringing this piece into health, I think is something that's up and coming for many people. I think there are a lot of people looking for health that they're not getting in our healthcare system. They're not really getting the care that they want. Um, so, you know, how, how do people get what they want for their physical care, their mental care, their emotional care, their spiritual, their social, their cultural care. Um, and these are all pieces of the human being that we, we have to think about when, when we want to consider being whole and that wholeness being an expression uh, of our spirituality and or our religion. You know, that we need health in every single area um, to be a, a good participating member of humanity. And, and that's what I hope for all people that they can find this ability to thrive and to get the greatest amount of wholeness that they can get during their lifetime on this, on this rock that we're spinning around on. <laughs> that is very cool, Dr. Sexton. Thank you very much. All right. This is the Conversation Cannabis and Christianity podcast. My name is Miguel Torres and I'm your host and our special guest is naturopathic Dr. Michelle Sexton. She's also she's also the author of Eat, Sleep, Relax, Protect, Forget, an endocannabinoid guide to systems wholeness for women. It'll be published in October 2023. Thank you very much Dr. Sexton for your time. Love you all. Thank you.